Please be seated. Thank you so much. And uh, as we begin, I bring the, uh, the mission statement of the church before you. Uh, we are here to communicate the gospel. And that is to be done in every way, shape, or form that we possibly can. The word cloud is one of the things that, that uh, we put before you each week that reminds you of how central uh, the Bible is to our existence. Uh, we are not all tied to this group or that group or every other group. Uh, we are tied to those who are part of the covenant community who cherish the word of God. Or as, as, uh, as scripture talks about, he is our God and we are his people. Inside the Bible, we believe that the gospel is communicated, and that's what I believe I'll be communicating today, even in the book of Daniel, chapter 10. So if I could have you uh, draw your attention reverently to the public reading of God's inerrant, infallible, inspired word as it was given in the originals. So let's look at Daniel chapter 10. This is a passage that comes towards the end of the book of Daniel. Daniel only has about 12 chapters, and uh, the, the last three chapters are kind of grouped together. And in Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through 18, I, I want to uh, encourage you to, to see that this is what God shared with God's man. Verse 12, Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you have set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was there with the kings of Persia. Verse 14, and came to make you understand what it is, and, and to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. Let me repeat that. He says, I was left there with the kings of Persia, verse 14, and I have come to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for the days yet to come. And when he, when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and was moot. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of men, he touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and I spoke. I said to him who stood with me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll take the reading of the word and especially the preaching of the word and make it an effectual means of salvation and strengthen the saints that we might be, be strengthened as the text speaks about. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning's message is somewhat of a meditation and I begin with Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verses 23 through 25. These are precious verses. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and God delights in his way. Though, and he delights in God's way. Though he fall, he shall not be head, cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now am old, 
Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. The psalmist there gives us a glimpse of somebody's life. And here we are on Christmas Sunday. Where are you in your life? As I open up the book of Daniel and we get to chapter 10, I can tell you that we are not looking at a youthful Daniel anymore. He was familiar with the challenges of, of having to not conform to this world back in chapter 1. He did not yield to the secular godless lifestyle that was being pressured upon him. But now that he is old, he's probably in his 90s. He has lived in exile for probably in excess of seven decades. He's well seasoned in his relationship with God. He has seen it all, the good times and the bad times. As a boy, I'm sure that he, he felt the anguish and the pain of God's wrath being poured out. And what do I mean by that? As a pastor, I've always grown up in and around a church. My dad was a minister. You know, earliest memories was, uh, my earliest pictures are probably in the sanctuary of Cub Hill Church. I was only six months old back in those days, and they didn't take that many pictures. But for Daniel to have grown up in a season when the house of God, the Solomon's, Solomon's temple, was no longer functional. If you were to go up to, the, to, the, to that uh, mountain, the, the God's holy hill, and Solomon's temple was taken down. And it wasn't just that it couldn't be used, it was sacked. They emptied it out of everything, and they even took down the blocks to leave it just a pile of rubble. He knew about the demise of the ten northern tribes. The Assyrian kingdom had come in and taken the ten tribes of the north. Daniel knew about their prophets, like Isaiah, that they didn't listen to. And he himself had experienced the humiliation of having been... They, they came into his town and they took him captive. And they tried to indoctrinate him... Uh, and, and they tried to tell him that the ways of Jerusalem were the ways of the past, that his new ways were supposed to be the ways of Babylon. You see, that was his lifetime. But as a survivor, now in his 90s, he also is telling us that he's familiar with the words of God. I argue that he was familiar with Isaiah's words, and I believe he was familiar with Jeremiah's words. In fact, he tells us in chapter 9 of Daniel that he studied uh, Jeremiah's uh, his, his input and recognize the grace of God in Jeremiah's words. If you go to De Deuteronomy, or excuse me, Daniel chapter 1, verse 2, in the, uh, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord in Jeremiah must pass. He understood that God's wrath had been poured out, but God's grace was going to be extended to restore. On this last Sunday of the year, I want us to be like Daniel. Whether we're in the younger stages or in the older stages, that we could trust God. That we could, that, and, and when you look here in chapter 10, we see three things about Daniel. We see his ongoing struggle. We see his continued status. And we see his timely strengthening. And this is appropriate for communion. We see his ongoing struggle to process God's ways. Just think about that. It's never easy. And then secondly, you see his continued status in God's eyes. 
His status didn't change just because of his location or because of his age. And that's good news. And thirdly, we see the timely strengthening from above, which is a reminder that God is in the business of, of helping us to stand and having done all to stand. First, I'll quickly mention his struggles. We see his human struggles in Daniel. The Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 10 that there was a great conflict. Daniel was getting these visions, and in these visions he could see that people were not civil. They were not kind. There was wars, and there was rumors of wars. There was difficulty. He understood that this is the plot of this world. It was difficult. In verse 2, we find that it wasn't only perplexing to his mind to grasp, but his body was overwhelmed as he was grieving, mourning for three weeks. It was about his nutrition and even his appearance. He did not eat the delicacies or the meat uh, for, for the three weeks, for the 21 days, nor did he uh, uh, anoint himself. He didn't get looking very good. He was totally consumed with, with what God was doing. He couldn't couldn't fathom. He couldn't plummet. You see, this human struggle is not something new to just Daniel. If I take you to Isaiah chapter 55, uh, you're familiar with the words that God's word will not return void. But if you know the few verses before that in verse 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. You see, the whole point of Isaiah is, is recognizing that the struggle is that God does it in ways that you and I wouldn't do. If God gave you permission to be God for a day, would you do the things the same way God's doing them now? Maybe it's a little blasphemous to even ponder that we could handle it. All the things that are going on. They've made some humorous movies about it. You know, Evan Almighty or Oh God, those kind of movies. But, but the truth is, is that God is working it all together for good. His ways, they're good. For God is good. This human struggle that Daniel was showing, that I believe that Isaiah echoes, is one that we have. There is great and real conflict. And when Daniel is given this glimpse of the future, he cannot be settled. He is so stirred in his soul. And I believe that when many of us look forward into the future, we have the same reaction. Because unless you can get past this world into glory you know that what lies ahead is not ease and comfort. Those of you that are familiar with Psalm 23, after he, he restores your soul, then what does he do? He leads you in the paths of bliss. He leads you in the paths of righteousness. And when he takes you down that path, it includes the hills and valleys, even of the, the valley of the shadow of death. And it takes you into places that you would not typically want to go. You end up sitting at table with enemies. You're in this world with people that would like to take you down. And he says, and nevertheless, God's rod and his staff will see you through all of this stuff. God's ways are not our ways. And we struggle like Daniel in his human struggle 
In, verse, in chapter 10, verse 16, And behold, one in the likeness of the children of men touched my lips. I opened my mouth, and I spoke, and I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, my, by reason of my vision, pains have come upon me. This hurts. It's not just living happily ever after like the old Disney movies used to make you think. We see a future that includes struggle. And it's not for the faint-hearted. If you look at verse 14, uh, and the end of it, he says, and, and the angel came to make you understand. This is speaking to Daniel. I've come to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the days that lie ahead, in the latter days. Now, that's quickly highlighting the struggle. And even here at the end of the year, at the end of 2022, I believe that many of us are dealing with struggles. You don't even have to look far. You don't even have to turn on the news to hear all the struggles that are going on because you know what they are in your own soul, with your own neighbors, within your own families. But secondly, this idea of status, Daniel's status, it's amazing. His status in God's eyes, it would surprise you. Because you think if God's ways are so great, wouldn't you think that everything would be hunky-dory? Wouldn't God just make your life wonderful? The statement of the text tells us here in Daniel chapter 9, I want to take you down to verse 23, Daniel 9, 23. This is the previous chapter, and he sets the story up by comforting Daniel. And in verse 23, at the beginning of your pleas, Daniel, you pleaded for mercy, and a word went out, and I have come to tell you that you are what? Loved. And the old Hebrew gives you an, uh, another adjective, an ad, or actually it's an adverb, and it says you are greatly loved. Not just a little bit. The love of God is amazing. Therefore, he says, consider the words. That's how he comforted Daniel in chapter 9. And this status has not ended. This status continues into chapter 10. We see his love has not failed and it has not gotten worse, even though the visions of the future are more difficult. If you look at chapter 10, at the end of verse 13 into verse 14, he says, I, there was a struggle with the king of Persia. In verse 14, he says, and, and I've come to make you understand. I'm repeating that verse, but just think about it. God has sent someone to help Daniel through it. His status is that he is special. God's covenantal, law, uh, covenantal love has not gone away. I believe that, as I told you earlier, Jeremiah was one of the people that he clung to. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He wrote that small book of lamentation because he was lamenting. He was voicing what Daniel was probably too young to be able to put into words. And when you realize, wow, wow, all these struggles. But in Jeremiah chapter 30, I want to just highlight a few verses for you. In verse 14, uh, the that the prophet Jeremiah is explaining to God's people. He says, uh, he's speaking for the Lord, and he says, you people, your hurt are incurable. Your wounds are grievous. Nobody upholds you. There's no medicine for your wound. In verse 14, all your lovers have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. In other words, he says, look, people of God, you haven't really been faithful to me, but look around. Everything that you put your hope in has let you down. In verse 15, he says, why do you cry out over your hurt? He says, your pain is incurable. There's nothing on earth that's going to be able to fix what's ailing you. 
this brokenness in this world. He says, your pain is incurable, verse 15, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. (laughs) People of God, you can't hide in the closet. God knows your sins. And be sure your sins haven't been forgotten. Every sin needs to be known so it can be atoned for. He says, God says, I know about your sins. And that's why in verse 18, he comes and he starts to offer hope to the people of God. And Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, is the one who shares this hope. He says, he quotes God, behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob, and I will have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt on its mount, on its mound, and the palace shall stand where it used to be. Out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving and the voices of those who celebrate. And when you realize that Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, is saying, hey, let me tell you, there's going to be some, some good coming in the future. At the end, in verse 22, he sums it up with these lovely words. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. The status of God's people doesn't change just because the people are not very good They're not very righteous. They're not very pleasing. You can read about the same message in in 1 Corinthians 10 in the New Testament, how God's people were, were not to follow the examples of the Old Testament people. They were supposed to be more righteous. They were supposed to have volitional sanctification to follow after God. The storm in chapter, uh, chapter 30, verse 23. Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon your head, uh, the head of the wicked. And the fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. And Daniel, or Jeremiah is told, telling the people of God, in the latter days, you'll finally understand what God's doing. You see, understanding God's ways, his ways are above our ways. That's why the struggle, the status is to remind us that we haven't lost our relationship with him as his people. And that's why in chapter 31, which I usually go to because Jeremiah 31, 31 is talking about the new covenant. Now, but if you look at the beginning of chapter 31, let me read a couple of those verses. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. And the Lord appeared to him from far away, and he said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have counted my faithfulness to you. You see, the status that we have is not because we did anything, but because he has an everlasting love. This is why the strengthening comes into play. And at the end of the year, as we come to the communion table, we need to be strengthened. The book of Hebrews talks about the feeble knees, or that we need to be built up in the faith, as Paul writes it. This strengthening comes from above, and God is the only one who can make it happen. We need his help. Daniel chapter 18, or 10, verse 18, and he mentions this twice. He says, again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. Daniel is revealing that the struggle has overwhelmed him, and even though he's a child of God, he's still, he's not able to move forward. He needs help. 
And God sent one in the appearance of a man. Some might argue that this actually was another theophany, that Jesus comes to help him. I'm under the impression that this reminds me of Isaiah chapter 6, that when Isaiah was before the Lord, he fell down on his face because he realized how holy, holy, holy God is and how unclean he is and how unclean he is dwelling with people that are just like him. When you realize that there needs to be help, that God sends help. Verse 19 of chapter 10. O man greatly loved, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Peace, my peace be with you. Be strong and be of good courage. You see, this is how we're supposed to enter into the future. We're supposed to end this year and enter into a new year, not with fear, but realizing that we're greatly loved and that God's peace is with us. We are no longer in anger or, or in animosity with God. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 8, 1 tell us so clearly that God is not throwing stones at us. God is not dumping on us what we deserve. For by grace we have been saved through Christ. And we have, there is no more condemnation to them that are in Christ. Therefore, we have peace with our God. Therefore, he says, be strong. Be strong in the Lord. Be courageous. The exact words that were given to Joshua before he was going to take on the Holy Land enemies. God's love is not just words. Some of us may, may do that. We may say nice things, especially at Christmas time. You know, we might drop a penny or a couple of quarters into the, uh, the guy ringing the bells in front of the stores. You might do something charitable and nice. But God's love is not words, not just words. I take us to James chapter 2, verse 12. And one of you might say, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. Because James was saying, this is the way some people are. But they say, be warmed and be filled without giving them the things that they need to be warmed and be filled. They don't meet the body's needs. And he says, that's not love. God does something. God has covenantally, covenantially promised a paraclete. When Jesus did come into this world and live this life, and as he was about to go, you can read in John chapter 14, he says, even though my, I'm not here because I'm going to go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to send you a comforter. A paraclete. He's going to come alongside. The Father will send him in my name. He will teach you all things. He will bring you to remembrance the things that you need to know. And he says, my peace will be something that he'll usher into your soul. Now in Ephesians chapter 4, the Holy Spirit was not just coming to deliver that great power to the initial apostles and to that first century but the Bible says that when Jesus ascended on high, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 10 and following, he, he ascended and he gave gifts to men. In other words, he didn't leave us alone without shepherds. And the Bible says that he gave apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, all in verse 11 of Ephesians 4. Now, why did he give us these people? Did he give us these people so that we could ignore them? You can do it on your own, right? You don't need church anymore. That's the, the new pattern for 2023. You don't need to show up at church. That's just a pace, place of pain and it's a pay, place of old tradition. It's patriarchy and whatever else uh, unpopular words are being advanced these days. No, the reason why God gave you pastors and shepherds and teachers, verse 12, 
is to equip you, that is if you're a saint, to equip you to be doing ministry, to equip you so that you might be built up together in the body of Christ, that you would not be scattered, that you would not be splintered, that you would not be alienated. So verse 13, that what the preachers and teachers are supposed to do is to help you to attain a unity of the faith, to make sure that you're not wandering off believing what you believe and somebody else wandering off what they believe. We should come to a unity of the faith and of the knowledge of who Jesus is, of what we really do celebrate at Christmas time. Jesus is God in the flesh. We're no longer slaves, no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, no longer carried about by human cunning and by the craftiness of deceit. Instead, we are equipped to speak the truth in love. We grow up in him in every way, in Jesus, that is, who is the head, in Christ. And the whole body is joined together, and that's what we'll be celebrating in communion. In application of this, we've been strengthened. And one of the great strengthenings is the communion sacrament. Some of you may wonder, where did this idea come from? Well, if we put it on as a Jeopardy question, who is the first one to institute the Lord's Supper? Well, clearly it's Jesus in Luke 22 while they're in the upper room. But what was Jesus doing in the upper room? If you're familiar with the rest of the story, he was preparing for the Passover. So where did the Passover meal come from? Again, a great question would take you back. And if you grew up in the Jewish culture, if you grew up being catechized in the Jewish setting, your parents would have told you the same as every parent told everybody from Exodus 12 on. That the Passover was when God's wrath, the angel of death, passed over you. And the reason he passed over you was not because you were good or pretty or cute or not even because you were Jewish. Help me out. Why did the angel of death pass over some houses and not others? When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And so what you find is that this covenantal love is a strengthening for us. As the Apostle Paul explains it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there is supposed to be no misunderstanding or no confusion. When we come to the Lord's table, we come... Because we have a place. He has prepared it for us. And I'd like to read, as the elders come into place, if you would, if it would come up front for communion, I'd like to read 1 John 3. And imagine, not only imagine, understand in these latter days. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know or it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appeared, we shall be like him because, he, because we shall see him as he is. Do you see how the strengthening takes place? Everyone who has this hope is inclined or is in him, purifies himself as he is pure. You see, this is so interesting that as you come to the Lord's table, as we come to the end of the year and launch into a new year, the challenge is if you have this hope, yes, you know about the struggle of the future. You know that God eventually wins, but until then, 
The times on this earth, as the book of Revelation say, there's going to be a lot of devastation, a lot of destruction, and there's going to be a lot of death. And consequently, there'll be quite a bit of disappointment and even despair. But when we, who are God's children, know our status, when we can behold what manner of love the Father hath given to us to adopt us into his family, to number us with the covenant community, everyone who has this hope purifies himself. And as John goes on to say, everyone who makes a practice of sinning is not getting it. Let me read it exactly. Verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Christ or knows him. So little children, you children of God... Don't be deceived. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness, that's righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, why he came at Christmas, was to destroy the works of the devil. As we come to the Lord's table now, I'd like you to examine your own heart. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are coming to this table because I believe many of us are like Daniel. We're amazed at how far you've taken us. You've seen us through some difficult times. Some people have, have, have raised their hand against us. Some folks have ostracized us and pushed us away. In today's culture, sometimes that's called canceling. Sometimes that is called being rude, sometimes that is just simply erasing. Lord, as we come to the table today, we see that the times ahead are not easy. But we remember Jeremiah's words too, that you have a plan, a plan to prosper, a good plan. Jeremiah 29, 11. Lord, you always have a good plan for your people because you are good. We also pray that as we come to this table today, that we may remember your love. The greatest love could be sh was shown when you laid down your life for your friends. And as the book of Ephesians 2 says, that while we were yet in sins and trespasses, you took the initiative. You sent your son. You came into this world. And you took the punishment that we deserved on Calvary's cross. Lord, the strengthening that comes today is not because we've been doing some spiritual exercise and we've got bigger biceps. The strengthening comes because you have prepared a meal for us. You have come to touch us. You have come to lift us out of this despair. You have come to remind us that you are not just Yahweh, you are not just the Creator God, but you are our Father who is in heaven. Lord, we thank you that you have prepared a table before us and that you will strengthen us for the journey ahead, not only to finish this year and to take on the next, but to keep on occupying until that next Advent. Strengthen us for this journey, we pray in Jesus' name.